All right, as you most of you remember, we're in the book of First Corinthians now. And so I'm going to see if you guys can tell me a few things you remember about the book of First Corinthians. It's about the Corinthians. What do we know from two books? There's two books. There was actually three letters, but there was a lost letter. So we only have two of them. But yeah, so but there's two. And if you remember, they were a church located in what kind of city? A very sinful city. It was, you know, kind of what we would think of like as uh, Vegas, New York, uh, Hollywood, uh, all combined wrapped into one. It was a very sinful, very worldly city, which most of the scriptures we read are talking and writing to people in sinful situations. So it's a very simple city. And what do we know about the church? Were they like struggling? Were they mature? Were, what were they? Yeah, yeah, they kind of had broken themselves into little cliques, little sects of like, uh, we're following Paul, we're following Paul. They were a very divided church. They were actually very worldly church. But here's the thing. They thought they were super spiritual. They kind of had... they. They had puffed up heads. Even Paul says that later. He says, you guys are kind of puffed up with knowledge. They had a lot of information, a lot of data about God. And they were trying to press each other with fancy. This speaker kind of talks like this and the speaker. And they were kind of teaming up, doing things. And what Paul is writing to them to tell them is like, hey, here's what it means to be truly spiritual. You think you're spiritually mature, but here's what it means to be spiritually mature. It means to remember who Christ is and what he did on the cross. It's a really simple message. And it seems foolish. And there might even be people in this room who think all of this church stuff, all this Jesus stuff is a bunch of mumbo jumbo and a bunch of baloney. And there were people in the church that wanted to talk philosophies and uh, logic and reasoning. And what Paul's saying is, that stuff really is foolishness. If that's where you're putting your hope in worldly wisdom, it's, it's a shame, but you're, you're going to be a fool. If you're putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, which seems foolish to a lot of people, right? We're here gathered today, and we're talking about Christ, and we're singing songs to God, and we're going to celebrate at the end. We're going to celebrate a Savior who died on a cross as a criminal for us. That seems pretty darn foolish to a lot of people out there. But the fact of it is that message makes us wise. It makes us powerful in a way that the world's wisdom cannot. We seem to be fools. But as we read about last week, uh, the worldly wisdom versus the cross, the world says the message of Christ and the cross is foolishness. However, it makes us strong and it makes us wise. Remember, we talked about where's my confidence in me or in thee? And I think that's a struggle we all have. We all want to put our confidence in our brains or our experience or our success or our muscles or our health or our finances. Or are we putting it in a crucified savior? Is that where our hope is? And that's what we talked about last week. You know, I like to have some discussion questions to kind of try and connect us to the passage. So we'll quickly go through these. But what kind of things can we see and observe with our own eyes? I mean, the list is long, but just everything else. Nature, everything around you. 
distinctions, differences, behaviors. Yeah, you can, and you can even maybe see uh, observed processes or things happening. Yeah, there's a lot we can see with our eyes. But why is it important to be able to see things beyond our eyes, just even in a physical realm? We can't see cells. We can't see our own bones. We wish we could do MRIs with our own eyes, but we can't. Most of us are getting some kind of insurance mumbo jumbo trying to get an MRI. Why is it important, or even a telescope, we can't see things. Why is it important for us to see things beyond what our human eyes can see? Just in the, even in the physical, to have hope. Okay, because there's some realities there, even if we can't see it. Yeah, it, it can be important for health reasons for to make you healthy yeah so would you all agree it's important to be able to see things we can't see with our human eyes just even on a i mean if you're like no it's not important the next time you break a bone don't go get an x-ray it is important to be able to see those things we praise god for that yeah yeah, uh, Jerry doesn't have her physical vision, and we're going to talk about that. In fact, that's one of the next things we're going to talk about. But in many ways, if she's open to spiritual things, she could have better eyesight than someone with, what's the best eyesight? Is 2020 the best? 2020 eyesight. Hey. Hey. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It says that faith is, um, is uh, the substance of the things we can't see. Faith is the reality of stuff that we can't see. There's a lot we can't see that really is reality. It's their substance to it. Okay, so real quick, what kind of things do you think God wants us to know that we can't observe with the human eyes? Spiritually speaking, what kind of things does God want us to know? There's war, there's spiritual warfare, isn't there? Think there's spiritual warfare going on in this room right now? The future within, we can't see that. Do you think he wants us to know about that? Yeah. Not even on the spiritual warfare reality, there's probably still spiritual wars going on in individual's hearts, even in this room. Some way over here to where this is logical, but this is nonsense. And then others where Search work where may be something like this. I'm ready to give up. I just feel so worn out. This God stuff does not seem to be working. I don't I don't there's there's a work there going on. It's a reality of the future God wants us to see else.
weaponized as CSD. So there's they can understand, they have concerns. The Spirit reveals things to us that we just can't see with human eyes, human understanding. So I want to talk a little bit about the Spirit. And I have to say that I do not really understand the Holy Spirit. I know you're looking at the drive right now, and that's cool. We'll talk about that in a second. You're like, what is this? That's all right. I do not really understand the Holy Spirit. And I've even wrestled some things concerning the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you what I believe the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit, even though I don't understand it. And here's where I kind of had to end up about the Holy Spirit. I don't get it completely. I don't get him. I don't understand the Trinity. I don't understand those things. But yet, I can rely on those things. I can trust those things, and those things can be an important part of my functioning everyday life. I have a cell phone here. I do not really understand how this works. I could throw some terms and try and make it seem like I can get it. I'm not a total idiot. I, I don't really understand how this works. Yet, I use it all the time. I rely on it for very... A ton of different things. I'm not going, I'm not using that cell phone until I understand it, not touching it. When I can completely comprehend how a cell phone works, that's when I'll start using it. I feel like we need to kind of have that attitude towards the Holy Spirit and go, I, I don't completely understand who the Holy Spirit is, but I am going to rely on him. I am going to trust that he is powerful and works. So kind of just want to take that approach. As we talk about it, this has been a helpful picture for me. We talk about the Trinity. That means we believe that there, there's one God in three persons, not one God divided up in, into thirds. So he's not, some people will say, well, the Trinity is like an egg. You have the shell and you have the albumen or the white, and then you have the yolk. And that's kind of, or it's in three forms. You have a liquid and like water, liquid, a, a solid and a gas. I understand using those analogies. But God, and we would maybe, there's been different terms used for this. You could say Jehovah. You could say Yahweh. You, the idea of God. There's three persons. Three separate distinct entities and one god now the son is not the father the father is not the spirit the spirit is not the son and vice versa all the way around you could go like that but the son is god the spirit is god the father is god and i just want to say again i have wrestled with these things personally and i feel like even within the past few years I kind of went back to scripture to go, do I really believe this? Or am I just kind of regurgitating what I've been taught? And I truly believe that this is what scripture does teach is that it, our God exists in three distinct persons. Um, and I would, I would challenge you to go through that and wrestle through that with scripture on, on your own. If you're kind of like, I'm not sure I buy into that. So does this kind of help a little bit to kind of see, okay, three Persons of God, but there's one God. 
Now, here is kind of just an idea of the functionality of the spirit. So I want to talk about this. We'll get into the passage in a minute, but I feel like it's kind of important because when you start talking about the spirit, it seems like, ooh, and it can be very confusing. But so here's some different functionalities or what the spirit provides for us. God's promise. In Ephesians 1, it talks about 114. It talks about the Holy Spirit is a seal on us. It serves as God's mark upon us that guarantees our salvation and says your salvation is secure now and forever into eternity. So the Holy Spirit is like a seal put on us to say you have God's promise. The Holy Spirit provides us with God's presence. You never hear, you hear things like you're a temple of God. And again, these things are hard to understand. But the idea here is that God indwells believers. We are a temple of God. God indwells believers. And he means we can experience his presence at all times. Hebrews talks about, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places. I am with thee and will keep thee in all places. We have God's presence because we have the Holy Spirit. God's power. The Holy Spirit, Spirit provides us with God's power, enables Christ to live through us. Again, we talk about things uh, like being able to live out the life of Christ and being able to have love when I don't have love and have patience, even though I don't have patience, and how uh, to be a good father, even though I don't have all the makeup to be a good father. The Holy Spirit does, and I have the Holy Spirit, so that Holy Spirit can work through me. And God's perspective. You ever read through scripture or hear a message and you're like, okay, uh, I've read that a thousand times. And all of a sudden someone's like, bing, like, whoa, that makes sense. Whoa, that applies to me. That's what we call illumination. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit works and illuminates God's truth for you. And so the Holy Spirit, again, these are kind of just the practical things. Is God's promise in our lives. It provides us with God's presence. It provides us with God's power. And the Holy Spirit provides us with God's perspective. Does that kind of help as we talk a little bit more about like, Holy Spirit, like, what are you talking about? Maybe this helps uh, give a little bit of perspective. So first of all, we're going to look at four things. And first of all is the idea of the Holy Spirit provides us uh, or opens our eyes to God's power. So I'm going to read through the passage. I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. So he basically said, I didn't come with a big fancy message. I came with a simple, simple message. And that simple message was Christ crucified. Remember how he said, that's the wisdom of God. I didn't come with a big fancy uh, logical argument or um, philosophical reasonings. I came to you with a message about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And here's something else that's interesting. I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. When Paul was coming to them, he was kind of in a desperate state. He didn't come in as a super apostle, you know, with a cape and going, I have the power to do he, He's going in and there's different things that people think here. One, 
he knew that he was facing spiritual uh, opposition and that the, the problems in the church. And so he was humbled and going like, man, I need God for this. And other people believed that, you know, Paul either had epilepsy or his, some other thorn in the flesh where he was just physically weak. He didn't even have really the strength, uh, the, the physical strength. But regardless of the case, he came, he showed up to them with in weakness, not his own power. And he came to them with a super simple message. And he says, my, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Demonstration, spirit, power. So what he says is, what was shown to you, what was demonstrated, what you saw, what your eyes were opened up to, was the power of God, not my fancy speech. You saw the power of God. Why? So that you'd be putting your faith in God, in God's power, and not men's. And so as we talk about this, uh, I kind of want to just make a, a, a few connections for us. When we rely on our own effort or ability, we end up with natural or human results. When we rely on the Holy Spirit, the results are supernatural. So I believe that's what Paul's saying. Paul said, I came and gave you a simple message, and it did something for you that no great speech could do. Your heart was transformed. Now, if we look around this room, I could not transform one person's heart in here. I don't care how perfect of a Bible message I put together. But you know what? Even without my words, the Holy Spirit can transform your heart. He could give, take you from a place of depression to a place of joy, a, pay, a place of anxiety to a place of peace, a place of hopelessness and despair to a place of hope and confidence. Is that the power of God? The Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit, I could try and tell you, you've been doing this wrong. You don't even believe in Jesus. You need to get that together. Look at what the Bible says about your drinking or your this or your, uh, your division in your family. Look at what, and I could try and convince you of that. Probably to no avail. And if you've been married, you know this feeling. You're trying to convince your spouse of something to no avail. You'll pull out, I call it, I tell Carly, it's like, She'll pull out every card in the deck. It's like, does that card work? And I'm like, nope. That, does that card? She's like trying to like play these different cards on me. I'm like, nope, nothing. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will do something in my heart. And I'm like, oh, can't get away from it. Dang. And it's like, the Holy Spirit is way better at getting a hold of my heart and changing my heart than any speech, any sermon. Any loving, nagging, uh, just kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. She's not a nag. She really is not a nag at all. I feel blessed for, for that. <laughs> so the idea here is that really the power of God, the Holy Spirit is able to do what we cannot do. He wants to transform our hearts. And so just even a practical application of this, I don't know why you showed up this morning. You might have showed up this morning to get to just out of habit. 
Maybe so you didn't feel crummy about yourself all week and you could say you went to church. Maybe, maybe it was because uh, you wanted to look good in someone else's eyes. Maybe it was, I have no idea. Maybe it was because you wanted to get some Bible teaching. I don't know why you, you know, donuts. You can get donuts and not have to sit around for an hour and 15 minutes. You can get a donut at a drive-thru, but so if you're just here for the donuts. Uh, I don't know why you get into God's word or listen to messages or sermons through the week. Is it to be informed? Is it to be educated? Is it to gain Bible knowledge? Well, God wants through his Holy Spirit, the power is to transform our lives. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's wanting to do today in hearts today. Transform us in some way, shape, or form. And that cannot be done through human means. I can't do it for you, and you can't do it for you. But God, through his Holy Spirit, has the power to transform our hearts. And that's what Paul is trying to help them say. Like, it's not through fancy speech. But as we rely on the Holy Spirit, as we talked about who the Holy Spirit is, we rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely. And if you're having a hard time with this Holy Spirit thing, just say God for now. If you rely on God, if you're like, I can't get there, the Holy Spirit. If you rely on God, instead of your own resources or what other people can provide, he can transform your heart. I have this thing, this kind of just a debatable point. We're not going to debate it. But I know a lot of people, even in the church, have kind of mixed psychology and scripture. And there becomes this thing where uh, really the hope is that we can kind of like straighten out our minds, straighten out our heart through psychology. And I do, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. I understand that God has set our minds up and, and there are general principles operating in the world that are true. But I think sometimes the faith gets to be in this specific type of therapy or this specific. And I would say, what's the source of that? What's the source, source the psychology used to bring transformation? If we want transformation, we need to realize that comes, that is power that comes through the Holy Spirit. If we want God to transform our lives. We can't look to human means. We need to look to God to do, transform our lives. And also just kind of these scriptures, if you want to just jot them down, God demonstrates his power through us when we're weak and dependent on him. When we're defiant against God, or we're just going to stand in our own strength, if Paul would have shown up with his like superpower cape on and go like, yep, yep, I'm the apostle with the mostest, and uh, I got some big fancy. I don't think God would have demonstrated his power through Paul. But Paul says, I was with you in weakness, fear, and trembling. And then Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He's telling people like, hey, we got a lot. We're, we're burdened beyond measure. People in here feel burdened beyond measure. Above strength, more than we have the strength to do. So that we despaired even of our life. We were ready to just die. Like, please, man, it might just be easier if we could just be dead. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We can relate to that, right? Why does God allow that? Why would God let someone get to the end of their rope? That we should not trust ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That's why. He wants us to get to the end of our rope. And we say sometimes like, God won't give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. He will give you more than you can handle. And many people here have experienced, I can't handle it and crashed. But he will not give you more than he can handle. If he has you in a situation 
He wants you to not trust yourself to get yourself out of in a messy situation. He doesn't want you to trust your way to get you out, but he does want you to not put your trust in yourself, but put your trust in God who does what? Raises the dead. Is there anything bigger than that? No. Paul also says when he's talking about a thorn in the flesh, I take pleasure in infirmities. How many people here are happy when they're sick? How many people are here taking pleasure when they're being reproached or talked bad about? How many people feel happy when they're need, needy? How many have people are here happy when they're persecuted or distressed? All these things for Christ's sake? Check this out. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do we believe that? I don't know. A guy named Elliot Ginn used to lead worship years and years ago. Few people know Elliot. He had a song that he'd written, and it's called Surrender to Win. And he, drug, he struggled with uh, heroin addiction on, uh, and actually ended up going back to heroin uh, years after following Christ. Uh, got a hold of him again. But during that time of walking with God, that was his philosophy. I got to surrender for there to be victory in my life. You've been part of a 12-step program. You know that that is one of the premises, is letting go of your own power and your own abilities. And ultimately, we know that God is the source of power, not us. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to God's plan. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. So he's saying, I'm speaking to people who have a spiritual mindset, those who are spiritually minded, that's the mature people. I'm not talking using uh, the world's wisdom, but I want to tell you, he said, I'm telling you things that were hidden for a long time. No one knew about this. We'll talk about what that is in a minute, which none of the rulers of this age knew. Or had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So in other words, if they got it, they would not have crucified Jesus. I have not seen nor ear have heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So there's some things that God prepared for those people that love him. Human reasoning, human leaders, human philosophers could not make sense of that. They did not have that revealed. But if you have spiritual eyes, wisdom among the mature, that's those who have their eyes open to spiritual things, he will show what he has, our glorified state. So what he's saying here, so there was this time, even in the Old Testament, I'll, I'll, if you're trying to read that, don't worry, I'll kind of explain it a little bit. There was, it was hidden. There this, God had hid his plan of salvation. But now, through the Holy Spirit, revealed to Paul and then to us, what we didn't know. They did never knew that they would be able to have forgiveness without an animal sacrifice. They thought that that was what they were going to have to do. They were going to have to worship in the temple and be able to sacrifice animals for there to be forgiveness. They did not understand that they would be indwelt by God. There were pictures of this in the Old Testament, and I think some people were kind of getting it, but it wasn't clearly revealed. They didn't know that they would have God indwelling them. They didn't know that they could be made righteous, given the very righteousness of God, given a new spirit, made new, born again. 
And they didn't know that they could gain heaven by simply putting their trust in Christ. So there were things that were hidden that all of a sudden were made known. And the Spirit made these things known. So we talked about the Spirit reveals the power of God, power to transform lives. And the Spirit reveals the plan of God. Now, if God has shown us his plan that includes us being born again, made new, justified, that we can grow, that we will one day be in heaven with him, why does it even matter? Why is it important for us to know God's plan? Who cares? Why? What good is that? Like we, they, they tell you to ask when you're teaching scripture, looking at scripture, what's the so what? So what? The spirits revealed God's plan. So what? Why? Why is that a big deal? Okay. So it's, it talks about being able to walk in the good deeds that God has prepared beforehand. So if you know what God's plan is, it's able to walk. What else? Yeah, because the, the, the darkness, the pressures, the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our own lives, our own hearts, our own flesh. Life can be really dark, really depressing, really discouraging, really hopeless. But when you know that God's plan is to save men, to make them new, to grow them, and then to one day live with them forever, man, that gives you confidence in a messed up world. Just even knowing about sanctification, that God wants me to grow and to mature into more Christ-likeness. If I know that part of the plan, just that part, how am I going to handle a trial? This is an opportunity for me to grow more like Christ. It totally changes your perspective on how you see the world. If I sin and do something wrong and feel like, oh, God hates me now. I'm probably going to go to hell forever. I, 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 I've messed up again for the 15th time, 1500th time. But if I know God's plan to justify and to save and to make new and to glorify, to bring into heaven all those that are him, I'm given stability. We need stability. Everybody in this room, we live in an unstable, messed up, broken world. Every person in this room needs stability. Many people don't have it in their families. Many people don't have it in their workplaces. Many people don't have it in their finances. Many people don't have it in their health. But we can have stability in what matters the most, our relationship with God. If you have confidence and stability, you can grow in a healthy, mature way. If you are living in insecurity and fear in your relationship with God, God hates me, God's mad at me, uh, God's not going to love me anymore, what if God uh, rejects me because I've done so many things wrong? You cannot grow and mature, and you can't function in life properly. You're living in fear. And you put this on a situation with a kid, a child. If they're living where they don't feel confident and stable and it's insecure, and they don't know which ends up, and they don't know what's going to happen, they don't know if they're loved, that kid's a wreck. Many of us have come from backgrounds like that. But where there becomes stability and confidence and security and trusting the love that's there, even when life gets messy, even when they are rejected at school, they have strength. It's important for us to know God's plan. This isn't a bunch of nonsense. 
The message of the cross seems like foolishness to the world, but it makes us powerful and strong. Can you see how these truths will make a person powerful and strong in a messed up world? It does. I was going with the, the P theme because it just stuck. So I, I stuck presence in here because it was like God's power, God's plan. I'm like, God's grace. And I'm like, oh man, I wish there was a P word. God's presence. So when I say presence, I don't mean like presence with us. I mean like a gift because that's what grace is. It's an undeserved gift. We talk about that all the time. It's the many gifts that God gives us that we don't deserve. Scripture tells us that we are rich, wealthy with God's grace, the abundance of his grace. We are enriched by his grace. I'm going to get to this point here in a minute. We'll make it in a minute. But how many people here, be honest, I know you're going to, some people take the high road. How many people here would like to be wealthy? I mean, I have some people are like, I wouldn't really want to be because, you know, I know it's going to mess me up. And all I, all I want is a little place. And I get that too. But if you got your little place out secluded somewhere and you're just like, that's all I need. Dog and a gun and, you know, a couple acres, like I'm good. Then you're really wanting, you're going to want, all, you're going to want some other like bells and whistles, right? You're going to want the good truck for out there on the ranch, like. You don't want to be out there working on your truck every day. You want to have at least enough money for that. We, we love the idea of having a wealth, having an abundance of things, right? Well, God says, I made you rich. And I'm going to, not rich, like me. I made you wealthy. I had a teacher, I took a writing class in college, and he, uh, he said, you're autobiography. It was an autobiography class, which <laughs> Have you write an autobiography in college? It's kind of dumb. Yeah. Uh, if you're in that age group, I, it, it's when you're an old man or old woman, you'll understand. But uh, he said, this is a total rabbit trail. This is nothing spiritual about what I'm saying right now. He said, the title of your autobiography, be, autobiography ought to be, I am rich, but I'm not wealthy because my name is rich. Well, I'm not wealthy. But in Christ, I'm going to turn it around here. This part is important. I am wealthy, right? He says, but God revealed to revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. But what man knows these things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except for the spirit of God. In other words, it's hard a lot of times for us to tell what someone else is thinking or what's going on in someone else, but we can tell more what's going on with us than other people can. We, we don't even perfectly get it ourselves. But what he's saying is the spirit of God knows what's going on in the mind of God. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? Why have we received the spirit of God? That we might know the things I have been freely given by God. God wants us to know and understand the grace that he's given. These things seem like foolishness to the world. If I say you're given forgiveness, the world says, I don't need forgiveness. Say you're given a home in heaven. I don't believe in it. You're given the, the ability to have a transformed life. I don't need a transformed life. 
all of the graces of God. You're given the family of God. I don't like the family of God. They're a bunch of hypocrites. But when we get to see all the wealth that God has poured on us with spiritual eyes, we realize that we really are spiritually wealthy. <clears throat> Those in the world are not able to understand the riches of grace that we've been given. We just look like a bunch of maniacs following something without chasing. We're not chasing the three P's of the world, power, possession, power, possessions, and pleasure. We're not chasing those things, Lord willing. And we would look like fools to the world. We say we're already rich. Believers who aren't tuned into the spirit, those things don't even seem important. So just kind of a thought on that. What moves us more? The wealth we have in Christ or the idea of obtaining vast treasures on earth? Some believers dream of winning the lottery, but don't revel in the spiritual wealth they already possess. Why? How many people here have daydreamed at least a little bit about what they would do if they won the lottery? Yeah, yeah, we've, we've had some talks about it. Do some daydreaming. And, there, and I think that's, <laughs> he's got a sticky right there. It's his Bible bookmark, it's his lottery ticket. Oh, man. That's awesome. Oh, really? <laughs> I brought you here on purpose this morning, Chris. You think if you keep that thing in your Bible, it might give it a little more sound. Something's going to happen. Okay, okay, anyway. There you go, okay. Um, in case. We're all there, right? Like you can do some daydreaming about that and go like, man, to win the lottery. But the reality is, we could, through the Holy Spirit, if we're having spiritual eyes, we could begin to realize we've already hit the spiritual lottery. We're wealthy. All the spiritual blessings we have. We get so focused on the things of this world, but if we begin to have spiritual eyes and see what God's done toward for us and given us freely, we begin to become people of strength and wisdom. And so the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the presence or the gifts that God provides us. And the last point is God, or the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to God's perspective. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual but the natural man or the unbeliever does not receive the things of the spirit of God for their foolishness to him. We already talked about that, right? The world is saying this guys, you guys are a bunch of idiots, nor can he know them. The natural man, the unbeliever can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned, discerned or understood. But he who is spiritual, those who have the spirit of God, those who are tuned into the spirit of God judges all things or is able to see rightly all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, may instruct the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ. The natural unbelieving, I'm just going to read through this. The natural unbelieving person is unable to see themselves, I shouldn't be there, others or the world clearly. We have, with spiritual eyes, we are able to see things clearly. 
Those who are spiritual are those who, one, have the Holy Spirit, believers, and those who are tuned in or walking in step with the Spirit. We're going to talk about this next week, but all others are either unborn or still babies in Christ if they don't have spiritual eyesight. If you're not using spiritual eyesight to see the world around you, either you were not saved, you are not a believer, you do not have the Spirit, or you're spiritually immature and need to grow to develop that spiritual eyesight. The spiritual people or those with spiritual eyesight are able to correctly see and judge the world around them. The unbeliever or spiritually immature does not understand the ways of the spiritual person. So when it says is rightly judged by no one. So in other words, people may look at us with human eyes and we may look like what we do, the decisions we make, the fact that you're here this morning, the fact that you're trusting God, those things, they can't judge. They, they think they're judging, but they are misjudging. They don't see it correctly. They don't understand the ways of the spiritual person. But it doesn't matter because the spiritual person is living according to spiritual eyesight. It's okay. If we seem like fools to the world and they're judging us wrongly for that, that's okay. We still end up the victors, even if it feels like we're the knuckleheads. So this is possible for the believer because we've been given the mind of Christ. We have the potential to see the world around us with Christ's eyes. He says, you've been given the mind of Christ. Let's just ask, why does this matter? Why is it important for us to see life through Christ's eyes rather than our own? What if I see the sin that's corrupting our society? What if I see the problems in government? What if I see my unbelieving neighbor who hates God, throws his fist up at God? If I see all those things with the eyes of Christ. I see my neighbor with the eyes of Christ. I see government through the eyes of Christ. I see what's happening in our society. What's the difference? What is the, what? Goodness versus judgment. Compassion. Hope. And you're going to respond and handle things differently. We've been given the mind of Christ. And so if we kind of put this passage down to kind of boil it down, God's given us spiritual, the ability to see spiritual things. Remember how earlier I said, what if you could see things that the human eye couldn't see? What if you had supervision and you could see cells and you could see bones and you could see rocks on Mars and you could see all of these things? Well, the believer has been given the ability, the mind of Christ to see spiritually to see in a spiritual way, to see life in a new dimension. That helps us become wise and makes us more powerful than those who think this message is foolishness. So the Holy Spirit has shown us things our human eyes can't see, reveals God's power, God's plan, God's presence or gifts, and God's perspective. I just want to encourage you this week uh, to try and see things spiritually, or maybe even just ask yourself, if you come into a problem or a situation, ask yourself, am I looking at this stuff through human eyes, human reasoning, worldly wisdom, or am I looking at this with spiritual eyes? And begin to ask and say, God, I need to see this situation 
with spiritual eyes, with the mind of Christ. That's, remember how we said the idea of what's truly spiritual? They thought they were super spiritual, but they were seeing the world through worldly eyes. He says, you want to be super spiritual? Start seeing with the mind and the perspective of Jesus Christ. Start looking at the world around you, others around you, with the mind that Christ has.